All right, what's going on, everyone? This is Eric Stewart from the Fishing Fanatics Podcast. Today, I'm joined with John Holtz, who in 2022 competed in the Bassmaster Open and also was a huge bass fan, as I saw on some things on the Bassmaster um, and the things about his blog. And we'll talk about that a little bit that about that in this podcast. But um, I'm excited to have John on because I actually met him at iCast at the Bass Reaper Bait Co. booth down there. And I think he's got a cool story to kind of share with our listeners. So how you doing, John? Eric, thanks, man. I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be on with you, and and you know, I've watched you for a long time, so it's kind of cool to be on the other end of things. But uh, but very very happy to be here with you. Absolutely, John. It's good to have you here. And let's start all the way back at the beginning, maybe growing up a little bit. Um, what was it like for you to get in the fishing? What's that kind of story behind what got sure. you hooked in the fishing? Uh, well, here's the thing, and just so you kind of know, and and it kind of goes to for present day Claire DeBac, uh, I, in my real job, I'm a seventh grade teacher now. And, um, you know, I see these kids right now who, you know, they're, they're all ate up with fishing, which is great. I love it. But just the avenues they have with it, you know, to me, when I was a kid, it was, it was just for the fun of it. I mean, you know, there was no thought of, oh, you know, college or, oh, I could do this or that. I did have a cousin who got involved in some pretty high-level crappie tournaments around the area, so I kind of knew that that was out there as far as, you know, there was an ability to be in the fishing world and have a J-O-B in the fishing world, but I didn't really get it other than, to me, the most professional fishing stuff that was out there were people like Jimmy Houston, who, you know, when he'd release a video and, you know, a Roland Martin that you'd catch on I don't know if it was an ESPN something or what he was involved in at that time, but I remember as a kid looking at that and thinking, man, these guys, you know, they're on TV doing what I enjoy doing. And I think somewhere within my head that melded and said, you know, well, I, I want to do that someday. And so I remember as a kid, you know, my parents had like a, still have actually, the, the house they brought me home to is still their house. And they've got like a, a two acre pond there. And man, when I was out there, you know, it was, it was spinner baits and it was, I mean, every spinner bait I threw, I was Jimmy Houston. And I can remember in my head, like looking and paying attention to the old style trolling motor that Jimmy Houston had on his Ranger and trying to like, you know, manipulate my leg around that trolling motor the way he did. And, you know, underhand pitch like he did. And just, you know, I, to me, and this probably tells you towards my very weird mental status, but, uh, to me, man, when I was out there on the water, I had a cameraman in back, and I was Jimmy Houston, and I was out there, you know, I was chucking and winding, and uh, that was uh, that was where, like, in my head, maybe a fishing career could go, but um, really, just, you know, summers, vacations, were fishing. Um, we spent a lot of time on Table Rock Lake. We went, at, once I got into high school, we started going up to Canada a little bit, and, you know, just my passion for fishing just kept growing. And then about the time I got married, uh, which we're coming up on uh, almost 11 years, um, I was working at Bass Pro part-time just because, you know, early on in teaching, um, you got to love teaching because you're not going to get rich doing it. You're just not. Um, I was taking on a secondary job at Bass Pro, and um, I'm not sure if we were exactly married yet or not, but my either fiance or wife, one of the two, Jamie, she just kind of said, well, you know, you're always talking about, you're always in at Bass Pro talking to these guys about how to catch fish. Why aren't you out there doing it yourself? 
And we kind of came up with the plan of, well, if I could get some, you know, low-level sponsorships and get some folks to help pay my way, I was going to try to go tournament fishing. And that's pretty much what I've been doing for the last 11 years is really just trying my best to just stay with that love of the sport, but kind of take it to that next level as much as I can. Now, that's, that's awesome how you frame that too, because I think it's interesting, like, around me in the Philadelphia area, it's it's a lot of guys just fishing, kind of bass fishing, and then they kind of hear about, you know, your bill dances, or around me, it's Mike Iaconelli, too, and those kind of guys, and they start watching them, and it's like, oh, like, I didn't even know professional bass fishermen were like, a thing until I was, like, 16. Yeah. So it's cool to see, like, you Sorry, growing up. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the, the, it cut up a little bit, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I really did. I, I kind of grew up with that thought of like almost, I wouldn't say the personality superseded the fishing, but it was certainly right there along the, the same level. Absolutely. And then, and then working in Bass Pro Shop part-time and also doing your thing as a teacher too, that kind of leap of faith into tournament fishing, did that start on the local level or did you just kind of um, branch out from there? or How did that kind of look? You, you know, my, again, the, the cousin who I spoke about earlier, uh, his name's Mike. Uh, Mike, uh, Mike is, you know, when I was a kid, he kind of got me involved in a couple, we did a couple like little Thursday night tournament deals. And man, as a little kid, having your older cousin take you, you thought you were big stuff. I mean, I, I can, I can still absolutely, there's a, there's a little lake just to the uh, south of us, Hillsdale. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a, it's, it's a good crappie lake around here, but I think a lot of people kind of they sleeper on it a little bit for bass fishing, but um, I can remember the very first tournament he took me to, which was a little Thursday nighter, and had a little rattle trap that I foul hooked. And as I was bringing in that rattle trap, foul hooked basically on its side, that bass came up and hit it. And that was the first fish I ever got to weigh in at a tournament. And um, I guarantee you, when when that happened, man, I was like, I, I here I am, forty years old. And I was probably all of nine years old, and I can still see that fish in my head. And that's what fishing does to you. I mean, you know, you you remember you remember fish, and you remember, unfortunately, some of the ones that broke your heart. But you also remember those milestone. And to me, that was like that that was it. That was that was the start of an addiction. And uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things that are worse in in the world to get addicted to. Uh, I uh, you know I I stay out of the bars. I stay out of the gambling. But I. Uh, I can't help it. I got, I got to be out there fishing. And that really, to me was that starting point of, yeah, I, I can't, I, I always joke around. I'm like, you know, what do people do who don't fish? Like I, I play a little golf. I play a little church league softball. I get those. But when people are like, so fishing, you fish. And I'm like, it's kind of like saying, so you breathe. Yeah, sure do. I mean, I, I just don't, you know, but that, that to me was that moment of, yeah, I'm I'm hooked line and sinker on it. So mm-hmm. it's it's funny because your story is kind of similar to my story. It's like fishing over in Jersey down in Vineland when I was in college, and I'll never forget the first fish I caught. It was on a frog, topwater, and the minute that fish bit that frog, I was hooked. That was it. Like I was yep. like, this is the coolest thing ever. But you actually your your hooked story, if you will, was during a tournament. And how much different is it tournament fishing than it's just fun fishing? You know, at that point, I certainly didn't really distinguish it because, you know, when you're a kid and you're that young and I don't, 
I guess I've always kind of been an old soul, but I can't say I absolutely had a concept of money that early on, you know, where you had money on the line. Um, I think I've almost come full circle on that because like now the leagues that I fish and, you know, the Midwest tournaments I fish, you do have to understand that, you know, it's not fun fishing. It, it, it is different because you do have money on the line. You've got sponsors who have had faith enough in you to put up money you realize i mean especially heck in this economy i mean you know if, if ever there's been a lesson in a, a dollar and the meaning of what it is you got to look at right now at how much more that dollar means because i mean a couple years back maybe they had a little bit of disposable income now it's we're stretching it to try to get you something you know and so i take that to heart and it does make you fish a little bit differently but I think through fishing in the opens, I also had that real realization within myself. I don't have that. Like, okay, right now where my dreams would be have altered a little bit. I, I don't want to be an elite series angler. I don't. I, I couldn't. Um, I had the pleasure of fishing with Joey C. Fuentes, cowboy. Super nice guy such a nice guy in the world but as we're talking and we're talking about the fact that his wife's a teacher and we're talking about the fact that he's you know this was pre him making the elites this is him still trying to get there and i'm kind of sitting there listening to him going I, I i don't have this i mean i just i flat i i don't have that cutthroat of a fish is going to determine whether my family eats or not that's something different in your brain and as much as I love fishing and as much as I want to, you know, I'd love to make it to a classic. That's what I really want to do. I would love to be able to kind of almost get emotional. I'd love to have my kid have that on a DVD somewhere saying, Dad walked across the ultimate stage. But I also want him to always know Dad was here for me. Dad was able to make it to my ball games. Dad was able to, you know, be there for those miles. You can't, do, because when you're on the Elite Series, when you're at that upper, upper echelon of the sport, MLF, Elite, whatever, that's your job. And it's almost, I, I'd say it's kind of almost akin to like being deployed in the military because you're gone so much. And you are out there and you are fighting that fight because that is how you make it. And there is no safety net. And there is no... Oh, you didn't catch him? Well, you're a nice guy, so we'll throw you. No, you are, it is the ultimate, you earn it. And as much as I would love to say in my heart of hearts, I would think maybe I could do that, where my situation in life is right now, that just ain't there. But that being said, I also think that's a really important lesson in life that I can give to especially some of the young anglers who are in my classes. I've done, you know, after-school fishing clubs, things like that, and let them know, listen, every everybody's feeling about where they should be fishing is their own, and that is the way it should be. I mean, you know, I, I, I've, I've heard people talk about religion as, oh, well, you're a cafeteria Christian, or, you, you know, you're going to pick and choose what you want. In a lot of ways, I guess I'm kind of a cafeteria fisherman in that, I know what's right for me. I know where my competitive juices are, but I'm also rational and logical enough to say, yeah, but I don't, I'm not there. I'm not where 
I'm not where those elite elite are. Um, I feel like, you know, you and I were in the ICAST booth, as a matter of fact, at the same time Harvey Horn came up. Harvey is yep, yeah. one of the most decent people you will ever meet. Harvey is one of the nicest men you will ever meet. And I think Harvey has to kind of switch something in his brain when he goes out there to be that, you know, I don't know. I don't know if stone cold killer is the right, but I mean, you've got to have that mentality of this is my job and God bless him because he has that ability. I don't have that. But would I love to walk across the same stage at a Bassmaster Classic? Yeah, I would. Do I want to be there? Can I devote all my resources and my passions and my life into that? Right now, I can't. I think that's super fair, right? I mean, being self-aware, too, and then also taking a look at, like, the formats of these different tournaments, it's, it's tough. It's tough for a guy who's teaching and, you know, to have to support their family to take the time out of their day and fish all nine opens, right? Like, that's a tough thing to do. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Impossible. I mean, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. I've heard it from a lot of different pros, and I've heard it at a lot of different, you know, gatherings, but I think it's very true. If you want to become a millionaire in fishing, you better start out a billionaire. I mean, there is that very elite air of those you know, KVDs and those, you know, Polonics and those Gerald Swindles that are able to make enough to support. And, you know, that would be dream. But um, I also think at some point in time, you've got to you got to be able to say and I don't say it with any regret, but I say, you know what, maybe what I'm building towards is for my kid to be able to do that. To me, you know, if I can keep Again, that dream of the classic alive, great. But even if I can kind of keep my connections, if I can keep building, if I can keep putting the Holtz name out there, if my son later on wants to go to college on a fishing scholarship, or if he wants to get involved in team stuff, as much as my dad has been a huge part of my life, he does not understand tournament angling. And I feel like if I'm there for him to make it just that much easier, great. And you know what? If he ends up wanting to go out and play baseball or golf or nothing at all, that's all fine too. And I'm very cognizant of that, not wanting to push him because I've seen the other side of when yeah. somebody's pushed, 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 they don't want to do it anymore. But if I can hang in there and make it to where maybe before he gets married and has kids, if he could be that next, you know, Jordan Lee who comes up through the ranks and is able to get out there and fish an elite series, my God, I'd be more happy for that than I ever would for myself. I would. I mean, I'm just being very honest. That, to me, would make me so much happier than if I could be an elite. Uh, it just, it, it would it would blow my mind. It would be the greatest thing ever. Right. That'd be pretty cool to see him walk across the classic stage for sure. I mean, I know you want to do it, that but would. it'd be cool to see your son do it for sure. It, 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 you know, I'm so hokey about it too. Like, you know, I've made some really great friends in Bass and, uh, and uh, you know, this last year at the classic down in Tennessee, um, I was going actually kind of behind the scenes to go meet uh, Mike Sukon and buddy of mine uh, and I are down there and Mike comes out to meet us and he's like, well, there's the stage. You want to touch it? And I went up there and I literally hovered my hand like a quarter inch. And I said, nope, I sure don't. I'm gonna, If I'm going to touch that stage, I want to be walking across it. And my buddy's like, nope, I'm touching it. But uh, I uh, I just I get hanky about that kind of thing because I'm just like, 
I want that to be, if, if God has that in his plan for me to make it there someday, and I can do that, I want all the emotion of this is the first time I touch that stage. It's like, it's, it's hollowed ground to me. It really is. No, absolutely. And you got started bass fishing later in life, correct? Like, how old were you about when you got started? <sighs> no, it's, I mean, yes and no. I mean, honestly, fishing my whole life. I mean, I've literally got a picture of me at two years old and my son at two years old at the exact same pond holding a fish that's almost identical. And I mean, you know, as far as fishing and bass fishing, I've been doing that ever since then. Or how about like as tournament, far as tournament fishing? My bad. Tournaments? Um, you know, I really got into seriously into tournaments probably when I was about 28, 29. So, I mean, you know, th that I can remember being in my last year of my master's degree at K-State and somebody putting up a um, sign up on the wreck that said, we're trying to get together a bass club. And I was like, man, that's awesome. But I was like literally months away from graduating. And now K-State's gone and won, what now, three national tournaments on the college level. And kids are getting scholarships to go fish. And I'm like, ah, I missed it. I, I literally missed it by yeah. like a year. But, uh, you know, that's just the way it is. But as far as actually competitive, these kids who are now young fishing in these huge tournaments – they have a whole new level that I didn't have. And I had to gain that quick, and I had to play catch-up. And shoot, now it's like I see these, you know, at 40, they make me feel like I'm 80 because there are these kids coming up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you fish in the tournament? Yes, sir. And I'm like, oh, that sir hit with a thud. I mean, it's like, yeah, Grandpa, we sure are. And, I mean, I don't feel like I'm that old. And, you know, there's – there's the Clark Winlets and, and guys who, you know, look, look at Rick Clun. My God. I mean, you know, the man's going to go on to be 110 and still win at some Florida tournament. But I mean, the thing of it is, I don't feel that way until I look at the eyes of some of these young kids and I'm like, oh my God, I'm that old man now. And it, it, it's just funny to me. It is. I, I don't find it depressing at all. I just find it funny. But yeah, it's, I mean, I definitely, you know, I have not I've not been tournament fishing for 40 years. I've more been tournament, really hard tournament fishing for about 12. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it is crazy. And you fish the opens, right? Like you fish the one open. I, uh, where I, was that at? I, um, so um, in Mississippi um, is where we were. And, um, you know, and, and that was, that was the big eye opener to me. I think that, you know, I'm so glad I did it. And if I do it again, I will definitely have some different ideas around what I'm looking to do. But honestly, um, I think probably the thing that it, it, it hit me the hardest was, you goofball, they're all out there doing the same exact thing. Like, I kind of felt like, I don't know, I felt like the stigma of like, oh, well, I'm probably not good enough to go out there and do this. And then I got in the boat with the guy on the first day, and I'll be honest with you, I was kind of like, okay. I mean, you know, it, it was it was kind of one of those eye-opening moments of, like, you know, this guy, this guy has boat troubles just like I do. This guy <laughs> is fishing, you know, kind of a lot 
quite frankly, junkier than what I do sometimes. And I'm like, and then day two pairing with, uh, with Joey, that was awesome because I got to be in there with somebody who was actually, you know, a obviously has proven out to be a pro. And I don't, I don't know, there's something snobbish about that. And I don't mean it to be, but let's face it. There is a big difference between that, that level and the level of what I fished at day one. And, you know, again, this is going to sound terribly snobbish, but I'm like, I think I could be there because honestly, the conversations that Joey and I had while we were out there, it, it inspired me to be like, yeah, you know, this, this is doable. This is something that I can do. The problem becomes when the economy tanks and you just, you don't have those funds and you know, the, the little bounces in life that, you know, go one way or the other and you go, well, I, I, you know what? I'm not going to mortgage my house to go out there and, like you said, fish fish to the elite. But I I absolutely will be back out there and doing it again because there's no there's no there's no measuring stick like what you get with that to where you can literally see a Gerald Swindle and you can see um, you know these these Daryl Gleason all all these stars that you you know you kind of feel like you know. But now now I'm fishing right side by side with them on the same water and let's prove it let, let's let's see who's got something in the live well at the end of the day and that's awesome that is a phenomenal thing yeah. business owners and marketing professionals in the philly area bad rhino takes the overwhelm out of digital marketing with tailored digital marketing services from social media management to seo and ppc advertising our expert team navigates the complexities of the digital ad space for your business let bad rhino lead you to success visit badrhinoinc.com and let's take your business to new heights bad rhino we do digital marketing so you don't have to yeah it's it's pretty cool because it takes me back to one of my past episodes where i talked to a young guy who made the elites this year and he was like, I was like, how did it feel like fishing next to all these like pros that have been established for a long time? He's like, dude, to be honest with you, at first I was super nervous, like super nervous. And then I realized once the boat launched, once I called my number, I'm like, oh, it's, it's just fishing. This is what I've been doing my whole life and just and, getting and after look, it. And, and I can, I can dangerously get on a soapbox here and I will not, but I, I will tell you. One of the things that I love, and I mean love, about fishing is, with all the crap that goes on in the world right now, a fish doesn't know what color you are. It doesn't know how rich or poor you are. It doesn't, it doesn't know anything about you. All it's doing is reacting to a bait that you either threw in the right place, the wrong place, or got lucky where you threw it. And when you can kind of gamesmanship that and say, you know what, my, my knee might be too blown out to go play basketball against somebody, or my back's too bad to go out and, you know, play around a golf against, you know, Rory, but I'm still able to go out there and fish, and I feel like I will be able to still be competitive for a very long time. And again, as long as you can keep it together enough to keep a worm on your hook and get out there, you got as good a chance as anybody else as long as you can kind of outsmart the rest of the field on what they're doing or and or get lucky enough to put it where it needs to be. And there is a moniker of luck, but you can't just leave it all to luck. You got to be able to have a game plan and you got to be able to kind of figure out 
this is where this is where I need to be and feel confident within that. And I think that's a big part of that game is you got to be confident that even if you don't know what those fish are thinking, you got to fool yourself into thinking you know what those fish are thinking. That's the truth. I've never thought about fishing like that. Like fish don't discriminate. They don't care. They don't. They don't care no. if you're fishing a tournament. If you're fun fishing, they they don't care the color of your skin. Nothing like that. It's just. It's literally. It, can you put it the is bait the, on the fish? It is the fairest thing in the world. There's no umpire that's got a grudge against you. There is no. You know, my parents didn't have the money to buy me the fancy shoes, therefore I couldn't do it. There, there's none of that. It is. It, it, to me, fishing is its the purest of sports because you are out there and it's you and it's the fish and let's go. And that's what it is. It's great. Absolutely. So you're, you are, you're, are a social studies teacher for the last 16 years. I am. Um, I am. So you, you said you got some clubs or different stuff going on with the kids and kind of helping them out get started in the fishing or – yeah, so um, I had an extremely uh, well-developed one. Uh, so let's see here. Pandemic year. Um, everything changed. Like the ability, obviously the whole world changed, and I still look back on it and go, wow, we really just like shut down the world for, you know, the flu for a couple months there or almost a year there. But <clears throat> I you know, there were all these murmurings of we're, we're going to be online forever. We're, we're never going to see kids back in the classroom again. We're, I just couldn't be a part of that. And again, I'm, I'm not, I'm, you can get me political and you can get me on a soapbox. I won't do that. But to me, that was not the right move. And I wasn't going to be a part of that. I just, I was not going to be a part of trying to halfway educate kids through a computer because as nice as it is you and me talking right now and this is great it ain't the same as you and me in a room being able to talk through things it's just not and so i left and that was after let's see 13 years of teaching and i left and i worked for garmin for a year loved it but it wasn't teaching and so i went back at my former school i had a very very pre-covid very established club where I had about 25 boys and girls and a good mix of each who got to me some of the best experience in the world. I mean, they got to talk to Mike Sukon. They talked to talk to, ugh, sorry, they got to talk to Ronnie Moore, easy for me to say. Um, they got to talk to Brandon Polnick. Um, they got to talk to all kinds of different local anglers and got to figure out, like, you know, and I had folks who literally had never tied on a hook before and learned how to tie a knot to kids who were i i think i might want to maybe do this in college someday how do i get there mr holtz and you know we did everything from learning how to tie knots we learned how to you know cast and pick out a backlash and all those things we learned about fish species we learned about safety we learned about stewardship and then we also learned how to put a resume together. We learned how to give a handshake and look somebody in the eye. And, you know, the thing of it is that you can say all you want, oh, the world's changing. And it is, trust me. It's, it's a very different world than it was five years ago. But for a lot of folks in the fishing community, especially the folks who have the bucks in the fishing community who might want to sponsor you, they tend to be even a little bit older than me. 
and still looking someone in the eye and shaking their hand firmly and saying, here's my paper resume, that still resonates. A lot of folks go, well, how do you get all these sponsors? How do you, because I work hard at it. I, I, there's a lot of rejection out there that I will just say, you know what? Maybe later. And that's something that I tried to instill in those kids. Now, coming back from COVID, it was a little bit dicier because there, even when we were back in school, limited numbers in the classroom, you know, how many people can be in a place together with not being six foot apart. I think it was there for the kids that they wanted to be a part of it, but we weren't quite sure how to do it. We did what I kind of consider to be a let's get back into it type thing where I had about five or six kids who, I mean, I think it really worked out well for them as far as being able to learn about it. But I really would like to kick it into that next year and get back to kind of that normalcy that we were pre-COVID where maybe we could do some, you know, some boys and girls club type, type interactions that are a little bit more where I'd love to be where we can get back together as a fishing community and start working on some of those things again. But to me, it's extremely rewarding to be able to see some of these. I mean, let's face it, some of these kids that I've had, you know, family life isn't good at home. Maybe they don't have a male figure in their life. Maybe they don't have, maybe they don't have a parent, you know, and they see something where they want to go fish. And maybe they even come in thinking, oh, I just want to catch a bluegill. But at the end of the day, they figure out this is something I can do for the rest of my life. So that's a really cool feeling. And it's also something that I think helps to bridge that gap because I think sometimes that kid comes into a core class, whether it be math or reading or social studies or whatever it is, and maybe they don't have a great love for that. But if you can bridge that connection through sports, whether that's football, baseball, whatever it might be, fishing, where you can do that, I think then they start to pay attention to you a little bit more and say, um, maybe this isn't, maybe this is something I should listen to because, you know, this guy, He's, he's kind of goofy. He tells some dad jokes and he'll, he'll keep on going with the assignment and it's not quite the torture maybe they thought it was beforehand. And I think that opening that door of a commonality of, oh, you like to fish? I like to fish. Maybe I'm a little bit on the troubled side. Maybe I don't have the best attendance record. Maybe I've had some, well, maybe all that's true, but I like to fish and you like to fish. So let's focus on what we have as a commonality and we'll worry about those differences later. And I think that's a real... We need more of that in life, for that matter. Absolutely. That, that's so true. And, I, I, you know, I wasn't in high school too long ago. I actually just graduated college a couple of years back. And first off, the online thing, I, I know this podcast is online. It sucks. It's not the same. Um, second thing is when you can make a connection with the teacher, um, whether, like, I played baseball in high school, and, like, the teachers that were, like, in the baseball and they knew I was on the team, I'd pay more attention in their class because I'd be like, okay, this is, like, this is my guy here, like, I'm going to actually take notes and pay attention because this guy's into the same thing as me. Have a little conversation about baseball at the end of it. So be it. But I think it's cool mm-hmm. to, on the social studies side, yes, you are a social studies teacher, but then also share a little mix of your personality, get the kids involved, get the kids talking to other people that are into fishing too because I'm sure you've seen it too. I got friends from high school. I got my fishing friends too on like the whole other side too. So it is cool that when you can kind of combine all the aspects of high school in the one with it be teacher fishing. I mean, just way better situation for the kids for sure. Well, and, and you know, honestly, even with the faculty, I, I always laugh because like my fishing friends who know me really well, they're like, I just don't know how you're a teacher. I, 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 I don't know how you put up with the personalities of the kids. 
I don't know how you put up with the other staff that seems so different-minded than you. I just can't picture you in a teacher's lounge talking to other teachers. But on the other side, when I am in that teacher's lounge, or if I am, I, I think a lot of times those either students or teachers, they're like, so wait a minute, you're telling me next weekend you're in Oklahoma on Grand Lake, and you'll be back by Monday, but you can't understand how I can keep it together in the field of teaching. And then, you know, on the other end, it's so many of my teacher friends that are like, they don't, they don't understand what tournament fishing is. And the fact that I'm on a boat for eight hours trying to catch five fish, they're like, they're, that blows their mind. And then beyond that, they're like, so people pay you to do this? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, believe it or not, I talk them into it. So anyway. That's, it's definitely a pretty cool situation because, like, not a lot of people – well, there's a lot of fishermen that are aware of, like, the professional circuit, but not a lot of, like, overall people are aware of it. And I think it's it's really cool to kind of spread that awareness, too. And it's like when people look at you in the school, be like, oh, that's that's John. That's the professional fisherman and teacher. Yeah. <laughs> there he that, is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still always think that, you know, and they'll, and they'll throw that, you know, professional fisherman. And I, I just always feel kind of funny. I mean – it's weird because, I mean, I do make money fishing, and I do have sponsors who I dearly love. I mean, you know, our, our local liquor store, Moonlight Liquor, he came up in such a big way. He's Actually, this is the first year he's been my primary sponsor, and it's all because the economy has sucked so much. And yet, believe it or not, liquor stores are still pretty much in business and going strong. And he believes in me and says, you know, this is a great way of advertising. So, you know, sh shout out Joe at Moonlight Liquors. But beyond that, you know, like my, my folks who, who, you know, sponsor me from the standpoint of, you know, Bass Reaper getting the great baits in my hand, all that stuff. I feel like it is my responsibility to say, yeah, I'm professionally fishing for them. But then inside my head, I'm like, I don't know. It's kind of a weird moniker to be, you know. I hear people, oh, I'm, oh, I'm on pro staffs and I'm, you know, professionally thinking. Well, there's a, that word pro has a lot of different incantations to it. And I guess it never bothers me when people have an understanding of what that means. It's the people who don't and just throw it around flippantly that bothers me because there's way too many people who work way too hard for people to assign a pro to somebody who gets a 10% discount on a fishing rod. That's not a pro, but I'm not sure I'm a pro either, but I try to be professional for all the folks who have been nice enough to believe in me, and, and I certainly believe right back in them. I love that. And actually, the uh, the liquor store, uh, your local liquor store, is actually a nice segue into like the next question I have here, and that being, what's what's it like fishing in Kansas City and KC, like that local kind of area around there? Is it good fishing out there? <sighs> You know, it really, it, there's great fishing. I wish there was better bass fishing. Um, we've got, again, you're going to get me political here. We've got a state house that I think could take a lot of lessons from Missouri, from Arkansas, from Oklahoma, and the fact that we don't put the money and resources into bass fishing the way we should and instead and again my opinion here i'll catch heat from local guys and local guides and everything else we put a bunch of money into stripers and wipers and catfish 
And I mean that, that, that listen, that's a I, I'm no dummy. That's a big part of the economy too. People come into catfish at Milford Lake. That's our largest lake here. It's about three hours from where I'm sitting right now. People will come into crappie fish at Hillsdale. There aren't a lot of people who are coming in to bass fish in Kansas, especially when we are just, you know, a few hours away from Table Rock and we're a few hours away from um um, Oklahoma's great fisheries. I mean, you know, Lake Tenkiller and the Red River and, you know, Grand, obviously. Um, it's different. I, I think you've got to kind of eke out your place. And I think if you are going to be that fisherman who wants to go out and, for example, fish the opens, I think you got to get out of your comfort zone because fishing here in Kansas will absolutely lead you in areas that I think a lot of people like in the South won't understand. We fish a lot of chocolate milk here. That's the bottom line. There are very few clear lakes. You got to go to Table Rock or you got to go to Stockton to find clear water. But there is a cool thing that has changed over the last few years in that, and again, controversial, zebra mussels have become much more invasive and all of a sudden we have smallmouth and that's not something we had when i was a kid and i know oh there are so many cairns i was actually out at my local lake just the other day with my wife and we grandma watched brogan and my son and we were out there fishing and she she saw my boat and i could tell you know you just get that feeling and she nice enough but she goes boy those are some fancy stickers on your boat I said, well, yeah, I guess so. I said, I fish all over the Midwest. Well, I wash everything off. We don't have the zebra mussels here, which they've only had for five years. But we don't have the zebra mussels here, and we sure don't. And I'm like, lady, <laughs> the fishery is probably better because of the zebra mussels. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I realize the Corps of Engineers, their struggle with it and everything else. But the fact of the matter is, our lakes have gotten better, cleaner, clearer. There are actually lakes where you can get two, three-foot visibility in Kansas now you never had before those feeders. So the ecosystem has changed. And, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to tell you what the long-term, maybe maybe we'll find out that zebra mussels really are the death of all of us. But for right now, I'm catching smallmouth and some biggins, and that's cool. And that's something that was not here when I was a kid. I You had to go to Table Rock to catch smallmouth. You you had to go other places to catch walleye. You had to go other places to be able to experience that feel of what a lot of places just are. Now we've got that in Kansas, and that's a cool thing. I wish that our largemouth were stepping up like the others are. We've got a few fisheries who have some monster largemouth in them, but we're just we're right here in that tipping point where we're too south to be north and we're too north to be south. And it's just, yeah. you know, those largemouth just don't like that bubble living. They just don't. No, I totally feel that being from Philadelphia. <laughs> I do. <laughs> it's like literally like smack dab in the middle. And you're just like, we don't know if we're smallmouth fisheries out here. Or we don't know if we're largemouth. We're kind of neither. So. Right. Well, and I can tell <laughs> you a, a smallmouth here in Kansas is a totally different critter than it is in Tennessee or it is in Minnesota or it is in Ontario, Canada. They are, to me, they are like, I don't know. There's a lot of big hunters around. Kansas is more known for hunting. Yep. And you think about, like, the different turkeys. You know, you think about the Rio turkey, 
turkeys and you think about the different breeds and they're all turkeys but they're all totally a different breed to me that's how smallmouth are a smallmouth on the tennessee river has nothing even close to in common to what a smallmouth here has other than they look a heck of a lot alike they don't behave the same they don't no, completely different. And I kind of got that glimpse up there when I was at the St. Lawrence that we were talking a little bit off air about. Those smallmouth are just completely different up there than anything I've yeah. ever fished. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's for sure. But John, let's uh, let's sure. wrap this up here. I want to ask you what your PB largemouth and PB smallmouth is. Okay, um, so I'm going to be very honest with you and tell you, I don't exactly know largemouth from this standpoint. Um, my, my buddy, um, who lives in Florida of all places now, came up, we fished a local lake, and all day long he talks trash on, oh, well, you know, largemouth fishing, whatever. The scales that I put it on showed it at over six and a half pounds. However, when I got back to the house, and, Cal and this is a few years ago, so we don't have exactly as fancy as scales, my scale was totally off. So I got to kind of guesstimate it and say it was right at that nine pounds, right about nine. Because in, you know, people people who've seen pictures of it, everything else, like, oh, I don't think it was a 10-pounder, but it was it was every bit of nine. Uh, largest smallmouth is at six. 